Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. and welcome to Five Color Commentary. We are, first and foremost, a Magic the Gathering podcast, but we also like to cover other trending topics in the news, such as tech, uh, I don't know, anything else. Movies, Movies, games, games, the stuff you're interested in. All sorts of things. My name is Eric. I'm Chris. And I'm Nick. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Nick. He's got a little story about some smart robot that helps you drink beer. Nick? What do you got to tell me? All right. Well, um, these students and professors out there at Cornell University, that great school, they are developing a robot. Um, it uses the Kinect sensors along with its other built-in sensors and um, has a two eight-core processors, each hooked up to 24 gigs of RAM, which I wish my computer had that much. But... Um, it kind of looks into the future and predicts your motion. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Looks into the future? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it anticipates your moves. Simmer down, young Chris. <laughs> Tell me, how do, they, how do they get this robot to anticipate your moves? Well, they've programmed into it, I think it, they said like 120 household activities, daily activities they usually do. Let's say brushing your teeth putting a pot in the sink, taking something out of the fridge. Can it vacuum for you? I'm sure it can. Clean your room for you? That's a daily activity. I might have to invest in this robot. <laughs> but it it takes, using this Kinect sensor and its other sensors, it looks at what objects are around, what you're doing, like if you're reading a book, having a drink, and it calculates where you're going to move next if you're going to pick that cup up if you're going to move it to your mouth or if you're going to set it down and then it predicts the most likely action that you're going to take. So is the Kinect sensor mounted to the robot itself or is it somewhere in the house? It's in the robot. It's right in, in its robot. little head there. And it's, if uh, you have a chance to watch the video, it um, this guy has a drink and normal robots, like he goes and takes the drink away and the robot just pours the beer on the desk because it can't predict it doesn't see it, him taking it away. But this guy sees your actions, predicts it, waits for you to take a drink, you put it back, and then he pours you your beer. No spillage. Oh. No spillage. Be cool. And, and will there be a link to this in the show notes? Yes, there will be. Of course. Of course. This no. ain't our first Rodeo Cowboy. No. Well, it is the first. But. Okay. <laughs> and afterwards, after it pours you beer, it can also play pool and beat you in that. That's awesome. Is it humanoid looking, or is it pretty basic? No, it's um, clunky. It's just got two arms right there. Okay. Looks looks. Decent. I mean, it's kind of a humanoid yeah. shape. It's like a big head, two arms, just no legs. Big strange Rolls vacuum down. cleaner. Yeah. With on arms a, on a like treadmill base or something. Yeah, but um, from what I've read, it's pretty agile. The arms and stuff. So. As far I as mean, as if it can play pool, I, that's yeah. that's got to be some. Look at this. cheering for it. This seems pretty unfair. That it can play pool. You know, it like do calculations. Yeah, and every shot is perfect. Every shot's like perfectly geometrical. <laughs> so, All right. 
<laughs> so that's that's my story about the smart beer pouring robot. Um, Eric, what can you tell us about these new consoles that are coming out? Okay, well, just last week we had the reveal of the Xbox One, and I wanted to kind of run down a comparison between the PS4, the Xbox One, and the um, the Wii U, which was released a while ago. Uh, so across the board here, they are all built on um, AMD technology as far as their graphics units go. Uh, their CPUs, both the PS4 and the Xbox One, are also built on uh, AMD processors. They're going to be 8-core Jaguar processors, which is similar to their newest line that's coming out. It's uh, kind of comparable to their Bobcat. Processor. I like these cat names. I know. Jaguars, yeah. Bobcats, you think it's I, Apple almost. I think they should name one like a Siberian Tiger. Catfish. Because that's my favorite Catfish. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, catfish <laughs> processor. Yes, Get the catfish that. processor. All right, continuing on. So they have Acor Jaguar processors, which actually aren't going to see the consumer market as far as PCs go. They're custom-built processors that are just for um, both the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Um, whereas the Wii U has a less powerful uh, IBM 3-core espresso processor. So, I don't know. I'm kind of digging the coffee name, but... Yeah, is this a cat or coffee? I, no. Why not both? The cat's a lot stronger. Yeah, so don't like I the guess coffee. the cat's out of the bag. The bag. The bag. The bag. Moving on. Um, both the PS4 and the Xbox One have 8 gigs of memory, whereas the Wii U only has 2. Mm. Um, PS4 Xbox One both have Blu-ray drives. Wii U has their own proprietary 25 gigabyte optical disc. So it can't play your Blu-ray movies, unfortunately. That is too bad. I like my me and some uh, Blu-ray action. Some Blu-ray action. I, I feel like the Wii U's the soccer mom... Of all the gaming platforms. I mean... Hey, I like Soccer Mom. Well, I mean, like... Like... <laughs> no, no, like... It, it doesn't... I mean, who, who really... Do gamers really care about the Wii U? I, I mean, mean, the Wii... The Wii, before the Wii U, huh? wasn't really targeting hardcore gamers no, in the first place. And the Wii U is actually just catching up to our current-gen consoles right now. The mm -hmm. Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. Yeah. So, I mean... Even if you look at the video, Wii U just got 1080p mm -hmm. capability, whereas these next-gen consoles, both the PS4 and the Xbox One, are going to be able to display 4K whenever people start getting 4K TVs in their yeah. So It's preparing for the future. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. I mean, the cycle on the last, um, thir uh, I guess it's sixth-generation consoles, whatever you want to call the mm -hmm. Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, um, they were on the shelves for about eight years yeah. through various versions. Yeah, and that, and that felt good. Yeah, PlayStation though—that's their been their plan all along. Is the uh, ten-year cycle for their consoles? Right. So I mean, we'll see how long these new consoles are going to stick around, and I've got to think it's going to be at least, like you were saying, five, ten years, like like PlayStation has in mind. Yeah. Um, and you can really see that with the Xbox One, how it's planning for the future with all their mm -hmm. media integration. Which one are, if any, are you guys going to get? I'm going for the PlayStation 4 yeah, myself. Yeah, I'm going I'm for the PlayStation, PlayStation myself. Person. See, I'm a PC guy. 
Yeah. Through I, and through. Um, one thing that we did discuss off the cast was how I'm excited that both the PS4 and the Xbox One are built on a x86 architecture, mm-hmm. which is similar to uh, our modern-day computers. So um, we're going to be able to port games back and forth between PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and to PCs a lot faster. One last thing I did want to touch on with those is price points. Uh, the Wii U is at 300 350 for the deluxe version. People are talking about the Xbox One being at 300 if it's subsidized with like a commitment to the Xbox Live subscription or um, maybe four or 500 out of the gate. And then PS4 is the same, about four or 500. But I've seen talk of people saying it might be as much as 750 even up to $900. I can't imagine spending that much on a console when I could get way more bang for my buck out of a PC. I remember when the PS3 came out, and it was $600. Right. And people were up in arms about that. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's kind of rough. I mean, the, the one of the big selling points for the PS3 was the Blu-ray player. And a lot of people... It's still one of the best Blu-ray players on the market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get a Blu-ray player, and you get a gaming system. Right. Yeah. I mean, the first one, it first came out, that was probably the best Blu-ray buy you could get when it was like around 300 bucks. Well, yeah, because the Blu-ray players were right around three to 400 bucks at that anyways, time. Anyways, yeah. So, man, how the times are changing. Yeah. All yeah. right, one more quick tech topic for you guys. Uh, NVIDIA has just released uh, the NDA on their 780 series graphic cards. And um, it's actually a lot closer to the GTX Titan than the tech community had expected. Um, normally, you think that the, when you advance the series by 100, like the GTX 680 to the GTX 780, it's going to be a comparable replacement with some updated technology. Um, the GTX 780 is actually almost a Titan. But it costs about three hundred dollars less. Um, now, Eric, for the uh, listeners who don't know, don't what know about graphics cards, okay. what, what's a Titan? Okay, the Titan what's, what's a, is a the single most powerful graphics card in the world. There are other cards that have two GPUs mm-hmm. on one slot, but the GTX Titan is a single graphics unit, and it's the most powerful in the world. So. Um, I don't know. It's a very impressive piece of technology. And the GTX 780 takes very closely after the GTX Titan. It's got the same cooler. It's actually even the same board layout, but they just removed some memory. They don't have as many um, core shaders, but uh, it performs almost the same for, I don't know, $250, $350 less. So It's pretty awesome. I don't know. I'm pretty. I'm, I'm regretting my purchase of the 680 now. <laughs> now <laughs> I, that still, I, see the I, still I would still wouldn't spend 650 dollars. No, it. no, it's it's expensive. But I mean, some people are questioning where this falls in between people that are looking to spend 400 dollars on a high-end video card and people that are willing to spend enthusiast-grade cash on the GTX Titan. Yeah. But you're dropping a thousand dollars there versus four hundred and four hundred and fifty on a on a six eighty, uh, and this kind of fills that gap a little bit with a six hundred and fifty dollar card. And Nvidia, at this point, they really don't have to 
have anything between the 680 and the 780. We have control of the market, so. Uh -huh. Yeah, AMD, or rate, AMD? AMD. They kind of fell off that. The one thing that I will say is the Xbox, the PS4, yeah, they all and the Wii U all have AMD, which is kind of good and kind of bad. Um, it's good because AMD's staying alive. But the bad thing is that that might slow down ports between Radeon technology and the NVIDIA technology. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's pluses and minuses, but I'm glad to see AMD's going to stick it out at least for a while to provide some more competition for both Intel and NVIDIA. 4K television. 4K television, yeah. What do you want to know? Ah, I just can't get over that. It's new. <laughs> it's, I mean... That was my mind. It's, <laughs> it's so... Oh. It's, it's four 1080p monitors yeah. stacked on top of each other. It, or televisions, whatever. It's four times the resolution. Yeah, it's just mind-blowing. I, I really want to start seeing it on like a 36-inch monitor. Yeah. 4K. I mean, that makes sense. Um, a while ago, um, Seiki or Seikai had a 4K TV. Mm -hmm. I think it was a 42-inch, 46-inch, somewhere around there for uh, 1500 bucks, which most 4K TVs are like 5000 10000 yeah. bucks. So, I mean... They basically released a no-frills product. It's not a smart TV. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have all these bells and whistles. It's just a 4K box mm -hmm. that has, like, three HDMI inputs. So, I mean, people are... Does HDMI even support 4K? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, newer, the newer revisions oh, right. of HDMI do. So. Do you know anything about the future beyond a 4K? Is there I mean, any, like sort of future that can go there, beyond? 8K is possible. I've, I've heard about it existing, but there's no practical purpose for 8K. Mm -hmm. Even 4K, there's not a lot of content mm -hmm. that's actually shot in 4K. So it's, it's actually more practical as far as um, using a 4K TV right now for a PC mm -hmm. because there are games that are capable of pumping out 4K graphics. That, that would be something that you'd want to use um, a GTX Titan or a GTX 780 for mm -hmm. to be able to put your Crisis 3 on your gigantic 4K display. Yeah. So. I remember uh, they were talking about how the original Crisis at the time, each Crisis that comes out just ends up breaking. It's, it, yeah, the game was designed to melt your computer, basically. Yep. <laughs> so. There's all those YouTube videos of... Uh, it looks like it's a seamless video, but it's actually all a bunch of still shots put together to make it look like to one make seamless it look like video. It's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you guys have any other tech questions no, before we move TV. <laughs> I could keep going, but let's get to what we're here for. What's magic? Magic the Gathering. All right. Isn't that a fad? From I mean, some time ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, it started yeah. in the nineties, and then and died out with Pogs, right? No, no, oh, it never okay. died out. You weren't even alive when Pogs were. I don't know. 
Did you ever play Pogs? No. Oh, man. I mean, it was big when I was in, like, first grade. <laughs> I brought him to school. Yeah, me too. You I brought him to school. Oh. I had my slammer. I had, like, a holographic dragon with gold on it. Yeah. Just like, boom, give yeah, me that big tube-carried case. Yeah, such a good invention. How, how do you even, like, determine value? Shininess? Yeah. Was there I no mean, value? The only value was in slammers. Your regular pogs, it was like, whatever, dime a dozen. Man, here we go, dime. We're on main course. Uh, we're not first half here. <laughs> hey, this is a natural flow. If we want to talk about t pogs, we're going to talk about pogs. We're not even talking about garbage pail kids. No, this is we're our not talking about garbage pail kids. This is our podcast. <laughs> yeah, the podcast. You, you want to be playing Silver Dragon with your uh, prism pog. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that, that last reference. Well, because they have different pictures on them. That wasn't very good. No? Nobody will think that's funny. Probably not. I'm sorry. Magic guys. tonight. You're a failure. <laughs> Why did we bring you on? Oh my god. <laughs> Nick! Are we ready to move on? <laughs> oh, we're so Chris. ready to move on. Alright, today in Magic, we're going to be talking magic. about uh, those new rules coming out with M14, and also introducing a new player to Magic. Kind of how to ease him into it, get him excited about the game. Yeah, I think anyone who's been a Magic player... Uh, player. I'm just flaying up some magic players. Mm. Um, anyone who's been playing magic for a while has tried to get someone into the game, tried and, and failed most likely, because it's such a complex game. There's so many rules, interactions, and things you need to be pay, paying attention to. Yeah, they just, overwhelm them, they get scared of the game, they shut down, they want to go cry in a corner. <laughs> I just don't understand! And then, and then they never come back to the game. So. Yeah. We're going to, after we get into these rule changes, we're going to really spend some time into how to ease a player in and what steps you need to take to do that. But first, let's dive into some of these M14 rules changes. Nick, what do you got for us? Let's look at that first big, everybody's talking about it First change. big. The first uh, big. Now, My the favorite legend thing. and <laughs> planeswalker uniqueness rule has been amended. Amended, yes sir. So, legends, planeswalkers, they're no longer quite as unique as they used to be. Nope. Now, each player can have the same planeswalker or legend on the battlefield. If you play the same legend or planeswalker, you get to choose which one lives and which one gets sacrificed. And, uh, I don't know, what do you guys think? Is this good for the game? Is this bad for the game? How is it going to affect how we, how we play Magic? I like today. the second aspect that you talked about, where you get to choose which one lives. Yeah, I, I like that change because when they when they both come in, they they, they both go to the each of them die. Yeah, which is uh, the <laughs> only the only thing that affects though is you. Yeah, if you're a flavor, I mean, if you're really into the lore or like the flavor, it kind of can get screwy with you because like the whole idea of uniqueness was yeah, a planeswalker is only able to be loyal to one player at a time because it's an individual, it's unique. And same thing with like legendary creatures, they're unique, yeah. they're an individual. I would like it better if your opponent has a Jace out and you play a Jace, they have to sacrifice Absolutely theirs. Absolutely You get to keep yours. Yours stays around? Yes. See, I was just at, about to say that and I could see that making sense 
for the Planeswalkers. However, I think that they want to keep the Planeswalkers and the legendary creatures the same. So I mean, you have to you go have... one way or the other with it. I feel like it would be very pow uh, an even more powerful effect, though, if you're doing that. Because you're able to take out one of your opponent's cards as well as playing your own. And that's a really powerful effect yeah, that, to happen. Yeah, that might be too powerful, which is why they might not have done that. I can... Yeah, because you for, gotta... if you have a, like, for example, sorry, but if you have an Olivia online and your opponent plays an Olivia to kill yours, and then they have one to stick around, they, they've got it's just too good of a deal. Well, we're talking in the context of planeswalkers, and I understand that the rule applies to both. Mm -hmm. Basically, I feel like for beginning players, kitchen table players. Vorthos people who, to describe Vorthos quickly, is just someone who likes art, the flavor of magic, mm -hmm. all that stuff. It makes a lot of sense to them. Is you play the new one, the other one dies, mm -hmm. the newest one gets to stick around. Sure. And that's, you know, when I was first looking into Planeswalkers, that's how I thought they worked. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was corrected shortly afterwards. Yeah. But it feels really bad when you have, th this happened a while ago, I'm holding Tezzeret in my hand. Yeah. Agent Abolus. Agent Abolus, yeah. Someone else has a Tezzeret on the field. I can play it and win, but no, now I need two Tezzerets mm -hmm. to be able to do something with it. So I'm just stuck. Now I have a dead card in my hand because my opponent also is playing Tezzeret. Yeah, but you can still play yours and kill that. Or... Yeah. Yeah, and, that's, and I don't think that was the intention of, like, legendary clauses and things like that, or, like, clone abilities. Using it as a kill spell? As a kill yeah. spell, you know. I think they're trying to they're trying to correct things to meet their original intentions. So yeah, there's some positive effects, maybe some negative. People yeah, just, I think people get used to it. It makes clones worse in general. I, I kind of like it in the fact that I could play if Baby Jace was still in standard. Or, well, I guess we can talk a different format, like an eternal format, where I can play Baby Jace, three mana Jace. And have Mind Sculptor in my hand and decide to replace it. Kind of like you're working your way yeah. up a curve of, with Planeswalkers. Or like right now with Garrick Relentless. And, you know, I'm torn between whether I want to play Relentless or Primal Hunter. Well, yeah, you I play can, Relentless. And yep, and then move on. It's almost here. like Pokemon. They evolve. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's Zendikar Black. Oh, man. Okay. I take back everything negative I said. This rule is the greatest. Because you can evolve your, your creatures. Ah. All right. All right. Next rule <laughs> change. On. I might have to change my pants later. Any okay. size sideboard ah. from 0 to 15 cards. This is interesting to me. I like this rule. I think it's fine. I think it's good for the players. Yeah. They, I, I read, I forget where, online, you know, the internet, which never lies. I read that it was changed because they wanted to make standard or any other constructed format closer to limited formats as far as sideboarding goes. Because there's not really a structured way to sideboard unlimited. It's the cards that you don't put in your deck and that's your sideboard and you can mm -hmm. side them in and side them out and whatever. I like it because in the higher level tournaments, like professional tournaments, you can get disqualified if you sideboarded incorrectly. Well, you get a game loss. Game loss, yeah. Um, and so... I like it for that that fact, and I think it just seems like a, almost a natural thing to be able to choose up to 15 cards. Uh, I mean, it just it seems like the natural step for yeah, the you, rule. 
you're like, oh, I don't want to take any cards out of my deck. I'll just side in these two and have mm -hmm. 62 cards. Or you forget to side out one. Yeah, I think that second scenario happens a lot. Yeah, you're not penalized. Where you sided in a card or you, you shuffled them all in because you didn't want your opponent to know yep. how many cards you're siding in and siding out. And then you present your deck. It's 61 cards. There's 14 in the sideboard. We all know what happened, mm -hmm. but you still get a game loss for it. And that's what I was saying to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think it's nice. All Agreed. Right, so we all like it. We all like it. Okay. Good rule change. Indestructible. It's a keyword now. Mm. Can you explain what the keyword is here? So a keyword mechanic is a mechanic that you'll see that typically in your expert level sets, it can just say the keyword and it doesn't no need explanation text. Uh, vigilance, flying, indestructible. Uh, it's it's something that trample. should be trampled. Yeah, sure. Lifelink. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's just something that they can print the one word and you know what it means. Yep. Now, for the most part, this isn't going to change how things work. Um, but how Indestructible worked previously to this is if something like uh, a recent example, Boros Charm, for instance, granted indestructibility to yes. all your creatures. If you gained control of a creature after Boros Charm resolved, that, would also that creature would still be indestructible. Now, because it's a keyworded ability, if you gain a creature after the resolution of Boros Charm, it wouldn't be indestructible. Just like uh, Overrun. If you played Overrun yeah. and then you got a creature later or whatever, it didn't affect the new creatures. So, I don't know. I think it's good. It's good. It's good. It's really rulesy. I think it's going to be different circumstances where it really matters. I can't, I'm not up in arms or mad about it. It's probably not even going to be something I notice while I play. No, you, no. you nine times out of ten, it's not even going to come up. Mm -hmm. I think it opens it up a little bit, a, a little bit more in the design space as far as um, introducing it more in core set. Yeah, mm -hmm. that um, seems like a tough thing to put in a core set though for a new player to try and work around. It's been in some rares in core set yeah, like and indestructibility. Yeah, set. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's three the guy white, standing in three white, circle. one or three colorless, one white, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. We can guess all day. We have the internet, but let's not look up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> indestructible. It's now a keyword. Let's move on. Unblockable. Definitely not a keyword anymore. Hmm. What do you guys think? Stalker. I don't know. I don't care. The. I guess the biggest reason they made unblockable no longer a keyword is so, because there's so many variations on not being able to block something. And it can be confusing to new players when you see those different variations. Yeah. But unblockable is a keyword. Some of the other ones aren't. They have to be explained. You need, you know, italic text or whatever it's going to be. So so now if, like, Boros Charm, if that was unblockable instead of indestructible, any creature you played after yes. would have unblockable. Would be unblockable. Yeah. Right. yeah. Not that... I don't know. <laughs> they, they're now, any card that says unblockable now reads can't be blocked. In the Oracle text. Yeah, basically oh, okay. it's it's a templating issue only, and it's not going to affect how cards play out at all. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, there isn't an instant that says creatures you control can't be blocked or are unblockable in the, in the previous formatting. Uh, what's Teleportal say? Is that... Maybe it is unblockable. Yeah, okay, I thought Teleportal says Teleportal says something. Okay, scratch that. I don't know how to play Magic. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Last rule change. Oh, better? Question mark. What do you got written down here, Nick? Uh, defined 
How many lands can be played per turn? Let's have you walk us through these rule changes a little, Nick. All right, so before, uh, I'll just go by this example I have written down here. Um, you have an Oracle of Moldiah out, which says, hey, you can play an additional land each turn. So you're going along, and you play a land. Somebody kills your Oracle, <laughs> and you play another land. You said, oh, my first land was by the Oracle. It was my extra land for the turn. And so now I'm playing this other one. Now, with the new rules, if that Oracle of Moldiah dies... Moldiah dies. Moldiah dies. All right. You, um, you've played a land. Um, you're now down from two land plays to one land play, so you can't play that extra land, no matter if you declared it was an Oracle play. It seems like they're trying to avoid conflict in that. I mean, I, I, players are supposed to state what their land play is, and I, I can't imagine that someone would say, this is my extra land first. I mean, I guess if you're yeah, playing well, smart you and working around a kill spell. Yeah, that's yeah. previously you could do that. But now that from... oracle has to be in play, in play when you make your land plays. Right. So you have to do one after another. Also, you can't play your oracle, play your second land, cloud shift your oracle, play a third land. Anything else as far as the rule changes goes, guys? Or do you want to move on to our secondary main uh, topic? I'm for good the on show? rules. Okay. Very good. So. Very good, sir. <laughs> very good, sir. Let's move on. How to teach a new player magic. Nick, what do you got for me? How do I teach my young friend? Young Chris. Young Chris, who knows hardly anything about magic. He's so young. I mean, <sighs> just. Basically in diapers, diapers. Nick and Eric, how do I play this game? Ah, with my little hands, I, don't, I can't even shuffle these cards. <laughs> Let's see, I mean, you know, there's so many rules, so many cards. You gotta, first and foremost, make it fun for them. I, I like Start. how you switched into the little British right there. First and foremost, oh, make it fun that for was, them. That was the drunkenness. Very good. <laughs> So you get British when yes. you get drunk. No, I, I didn't even mean to be British. <laughs> I slurred my words a little bit. Perfect. I like it. Uh, yeah, you want to make sure they have fun. And you don't want to overwhelm them. There's a lot of, a lot of things that can overwhelm people. We're going to be um, referencing an article written by Mark Rosewater. We're going to probably refer to him as Marrow from here on out. They call him Marrow because he's bad to the bone. Boom. <laughs> Jokes. Yeah. Continue. Like, um, the level of Mar dry. <laughs> Anywho, um, folks, <laughs> I like how you're laughing about my dry humor so much. Anyways, basically, what Mary said. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, basically, what Mero says in this article is don't overwhelm the player. They're new, they're just getting into this game. There's a lot of rules. Don't overwhelm them and make sure that they have fun. Make sure they want to come back and play that second game. I mean, you don't want to play them and just, oh, I know all the rules. I'm making all these awesome plays and I'm just going to beat you into the ground. Smash That's not how to get another player to come back to this game. I, uh, I think an important thing is um, start out with basic mechanics too. Like yeah. If you're really starting a new player out, um, of course, uh, I think that's one of the bigger reasons Magic uh, or Wizards puts it out of here. It's simple. 
It doesn't have all of the... I mean, it obviously can get complicated, but it's a simplified version of magic. And that's a great place to start with just vanilla cards. Four yeah. threes with flavor text. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Put yep. in fun cards that aren't too complicated. Exactly. And uh, another thing that uh, Mero touched on in his article is actually the creation of Duels of the Planeswalkers as a very helpful tool to get people into playing the game. Just because even though you might be a very patient person, you can run out of patience and you can say, oh, no, just let me do it. Here, let me show you what the correct play is. Yeah. I'll tap this, I'll play that, you know, and then you move on. Mm -hmm. That player might not understand. They might have questions that they, they may have asked before but still don't quite understand the ins and outs of why what's happening is happening, whereas you're playing a computer game, the computer doesn't get impatient. It doesn't want to go do something else or get bored or get frustrated with you and mm -hmm. say, no, listen, just do this. It'll help you out with the yeah. chains and tutorials, but yeah. you'll learn at your own pace. And It's funny because I actually learned how to play Magic off of Duels of the Planeswalkers. Um, I think it was 2011, that one? I don't know, maybe 2010? Or I think I had 2011 and 2012. I think I played both of those. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a great introduction. But let's, I don't think you're going to take whoever you have that you want to introduce magic right to your house or somewhere and sit them down on whatever gaming system you have duels downloaded on. And so I think the basic points were keep the cards simple, keep it fun, and refrain from trying to smash face. Absolutely, yeah. If you can't get them set up to where they can play duels on their own time, either on their iPad or on their computer, Xbox, PlayStation, whatever they might have, the best way is to, like you were saying, sit them down and play fun, flavorful cards, have like one or maybe two a little more complex cards, a rare or something that has like a like a showstopper mm -hmm. that really oh man they drew this and oh man I can't wait to play this. But Sarah's uh, vet no Sarah's angel flying in vigilance on a four four, four. four. it's four great four. Yeah. it'll win some games if you're doing some basic that's right stuff. that card used to be a rare it was back in the day it's so a good card. make sure they're having fun don't get too Overcomplicated. Let them ask the questions, explain it as best you can in a polite manner. Yeah. Um, let them study the, the cards, the art, because that's a big draw for me, the art on the cards. Mm -hmm. Just how cool they look. That's one of the biggest draws to a lot of new players, is just looking at the art and soaking in the flavor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's a great way to get people interested in the game is check out the sweet demon and you know whatever just get them interested in the in the flavorful aspects of the game first yeah i think that's all we got make sure they have fun really yeah. make sure they <laughs> want to come back and play, play that second game oh uh, play hands down too is a yeah. big thing don't play with you you know hiding your cards just lay all your cards down on the table you know, play very slowly and patiently, and like we were saying, let them get absorbed into the flavor of the game. Yeah. Any any time I've taught someone to play Magic, and I've taught several people who ended up getting out of the game, but at least started playing, 
I start out with the colors of mana, how there's five different colors, and go over casting. I think that's the, one of the most difficult parts for people. Like, just when they're first starting is, can these, can the two, the blank two be played with what? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know, do you start with monocolored decks, or do you start with, like, a two-colored deck? I think monocolored's the way to go, just when you're teaching someone. Uh, just for the first time. you got to keep things as simple as possible. I mean, it's just like the article talks about. There's so many things that can go over. And when you're learning for the first time, you don't want to, on the off chance to have a blue-green deck and have all green sources and all blue cards. And then you have to pretend, okay, in a hypothetical situation, if this card was... Blue, in fact, you could actually play this card. Right. Or fix, I guess you can always just fix hands, but I like to teach while playing out a game. Yeah. Moving on, uh, we got some spoilers coming up here. Modern Masters. First of all, I picked up a box of Modern Masters. I pre-ordered one today on the eBay. I showed Eric this awesome he link. He showed me the link, and I pulled the trigger. I, I thought the amount was like, there was one left. I misread it. There was actually ten left. But I was like, nine sold, ten left. Oh, or, you know, yeah, uh, ten stock. Ten. And I'm like, oh, man, we're pulling the trigger. I'm getting this box of Modern Masters. I'm excited. I, I'm not even going to play Modern, but these cards have so much nostalgia for me. It's power-packed. It's, there's, uh, they're bringing the ruckus. Yeah. You know, I like to say that from time to time, bringing the ruckus, but mm -hmm. I, I really mean it here. I mean, they put Termogoyf and Dark Confidant and Aether Vile all like, I mean, those are just three of the cards. They're stuffed all in the same set. Chock full of value. Value. Value town. Which then, that's where all the eyebrows start to get raised. And people wonder, how is it going to affect my collection? How many of these are actually going to be printed? It's a limited set. What does that mean? And, and I, well, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah. Well, in the past, you've seen other limited print run items raise in price very highly above their MSRP. Commander's uh, Arsenal. Commander's Arsenal for we, that was a very limited very, yeah. It's about and that was a we can talk over that later. But no, let's get into it right now. Okay, Commander's Arsenal. I, I picked up a few for myself actually as a collector's item. Because I didn't want to have to go through the trouble later of having to try and pick one of uh, all the the aftermarket prices. Um, and I just think as a community um, they saw how EDH had taken off Commander, EDH, same thing. And so Wizards wanted to put out a second product line after the original Commander release. His Commander's taken off. And so what they decided to fill the gap this year, last year, with was Commander's Arsenal. But they released it in such a small print run that the average normal Joe who wants to play Commander with his three or four other buddies... It's going to be impossible for almost all four players to have a copy of Commander's Arsenal. See, now, on the actual um, press release for Commander's Arsenal, that was not for average Joe Commander player. That was for the elite Commander player. Right. The one who distinguishes himself as a collector who has been in Commander since its beginnings back when it was called Elder Dragon right. Highlander, yeah. EDH for short. 
before Wizards really took a hold of it and started embracing the product and printing mm -hmm. special cards just for that set. It's like you were saying, it is a collector's item. That's what they printed it for. They didn't print it for the masses. I think um, the Wizards came out a few months after it was released and apologized for the such limited print. Oh, I'm sure they still didn't print enough, even yeah. with the explanation of, yeah, it's only supposed to be for collectors. The, the, the MSRP on it was 75 That sounds right, but I'm not sure. Yeah, they sell for 250 Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. And... I mean, obviously older boxes sell for much more than the original pricing, but at the time when they were released, there was an abundance that you could, you could get them. So I guess, yeah, if it was meant for an exclusive group of people just to have that top-of-the-line magic card, I guess. I don't know if I like my magic that way, though. It kind of separates whether you want it to be a player's game or a collector's game at that point. I mean, being a collector has been a part of Magic since nearly its inception uh, when they made the reserved list. That mm -hmm. was made to protect collectors of the game. That's why cards like... Sliver um, Queen. Well, no, not Sliver Queen. But She's like, protected. Is, list? is she? Yeah. Okay. So is Karn. Well, um, well, that's actually related to Commander's Arsenal because Sliver Queen and Karn were both reprinted as oversized cards in it. So even though they can't okay. be reprinted as smaller sure. versions, like tournament legal versions, they can be printed as commander-sized cards. See, the examples I was going to say were like Black Lotus. The Power. The Moxes. Any of the Power Nine. Those cards are so expensive is because Wizards can't print those anymore. Yeah. And they're so old and so rare that that's why they cost you a used car. Yeah. <laughs> so. They really do. <laughs> but what was the original? Oh, Modern Masters. So Modern Masters. Uh, another example I was going to have for these limited print run items is the From the Vault series. Yeah. You see a lot of those that are really high in price. They have, what, 15 cards in them? Yeah. The exception will be this time around, it'll be 20. Because it's the 20th 20. anniversary yeah. of Magic. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. But um, those MSRP at $35, is it? Yep, $35. But, but they quickly climb up in price to 70 80 100 Yeah. beyond. Because it, the print run is so limited. Yeah. And, I mean, I can't you know, get too angry because I actually am a collector. But as a collector, I want the things I'm collecting to be obtainable. <laughs> to and the problem, this goes back right around to Modern Masters, is Modern Masters has become unobtainable for me at the price point of Star City's got it at 300, Card Kingdom I think was like 250, 270 now. Yeah, I moved up to 270. I picked it up from eBay for 250, which I was still like, but like I was saying earlier, it was an impulse purchase. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm still feeling good about it. I'm ready to crack those puppies open and get get some draft going. That, so. That's the cool thing about it. it. I don't know if they snuck that in as like a marketing point or if that was the original intention to say, oh, look, this is a draft set, so we're going to give you 24 packs. Or if it was crafty and say, here is or here are these cards that we don't want to introduce too many it back into the, the game. But and to be clear, you're referencing that there's only 24 packs instead of 36. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So there's not only get make 
or making you pay more per box, but you're getting less cards. Right. Also, you're seeing price per pack at about ten fifty or so. Yeah. Ten dollars fifty cents. Well, that was at your box price. It was ten fifty. Yeah. I mean, if it's selling for three hundred, that's going to be eleven, twelve bucks. Right. It's just crazy. Uh, drafts for it are going for about twenty-five, thirty dollars. Yeah, twenty-five, thirty. So we've been seeing here. It's, if this is going to be like a one-time deal where they release one Modern Masters and not a Modern Masters two, I guess it's cool because they're really trying to get the ball rolling now with Modern. They've yeah. seen it get some player base, and now they really want the players to take off with it. If they're trying to get it rolling, and boxes are this expensive, exactly. I don't see how that's helping. So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. See, it's introducing more of the same cards into the market. So it should theoretically reduce the price of other Tarmogoyfs. But it's not. Whether I, that's going to happen going to in be. the future or not is going to be based on a number of factors. Uh, one being collectors and how greedy they're going to be with their cards if they're going to put them back into the market afterwards. And another is how big is this print run actually going to be? Are we going to see that price come back down from $250, $300, closer to the suggested retail? It was, it was 165 for That's the MSRP for a box. Um, yeah, so they're, they're printing some staples like Tarmac Life, Elspeth, uh, The Shackles, Bob, Bob, Kiki Jiki. Um, they're also giving us a mythic run, print run of all five of the dragons from the Kamigawa set, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, to my knowledge, they see Commander play, but I don't know about modern. I, mean, I don't think I've ever seen them in a modern deck. It does seem like a lot of these cards, they're kind of doubling down and making uh, some more modern or uh, some more commander cards available from this set. Yeah, this really looks like it can appeal to the commander crowd as well. Click, that's a really big card to throw in there too. Right. Yeah, those top, those top four are all really big modern cards. I don't know about Elspeth. Elspeth, yeah, she's, she's uh, I know she has a high price point. I guess maybe. I, I didn't think she was that high, but I don't know. I'm not big Yeah, El Elspeth's fetch is nice. Nice price. I think she's twenties, um, thirties. Um, Sarkon Volder also printing. Um, not quite sure. I don't really see why you print Sarkon Volder. Yeah, or Progenitus. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's obviously a commander card. Yeah. Anything, but Grand Arbiter is not at Mythic, and I feel like he's just so good. And then, but the swords are at Mythic. So I feel like I mean the swords make sense at Mythic because yeah. the other three were printed at that. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm digging the new art on the swords. Yeah, they look great. I love it. Knight of the Reliquary. Knight of Reliquary is coming back. That that card when it was in standard that oh wrecked faces me to quite a few tournament wins. Yeah, it's a fantastic card. It's great in my in my band deck. Um, what else do they have on there? Kitchen things like even the value art found Ravager. Yeah, well, are they reprinting that at rare or rare? At rare, that art is awesome. That is some that is pretty sick. Kev Walker, I believe, does it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kev Walker did a nice job. In there. <laughs> There's that little Murr sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> is that you, Art Found Ravager? So that's interesting to see a little affinity love from this set as well. They got the yeah. little rainbow lands. I'm glad to see the vivid lands being reprinted too. Mm. Back when they were standard legal in Lorwyn Morning Tide, 
I mean, you saw some crazy stuff going down with like five color control decks because you only needed, you know, one or two of these off colors. Wow, this is chock full of so many good things. Chock full of value. Kenjian Collins of the Comics. Aether Vile. Interesting to see Demigod of Revenge. Yeah. I know Pretty good. But modern players don't play him. I think they're trying modern to... has done it like turn three, turn four. I th yeah, not playing a combo deck. I think yeah. like, you know, it's, it's an actual game. I mean, it's not like boom, you're dead yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, the, a lot of good cards are in modern that they can't touch in the set because they're only going to the Alara block. So the fetch lands have risen a lot in price still. I think they're now from the twenties now uh, t into the thirties, and. Um, I think the biggest thing they need to watch out for is keeping this from being another legacy or another vintage, where if you want to get into the format, the cards' price points are just so high that you just can't get in unless you want to want to pay the hefty toll. Well, and I mean, that's, that's a big reason that we saw Modern, is it's a replacement of Extended, but it's a semi-eternal format that's supposed to be a lot more accessible than Legacy and Vintage. Mm -hmm. Just because the staple cards from Legacy, from Vintage, a lot of them are reserved and you can't reprint those cards. Whereas Modern has a huge advantage in that front to where Wizards can release things like this, like Modern Masters, to get more of these cards out on the market. And, I mean, hopefully we'll see reduce some of those prices. I mean, Tarmogoyf, I, I haven't checked the price recently, but he's been at $100 for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Is he still at 100 Yeah, he, yeah 90 100 Yeah. It's usually about what he goes for. Um, Birthing Pod, it, just on the topic of card prices, that's a really hot pickup. Pod sees a ton of play. If you just kind of look through the modern metagame of top decks, um, Pod is in two of them just right off the bat of two different type of and archetypes. And it's the top one. In the and it is the top well, one. on MTGO, though. Yeah, well, that's one of them. But there's a lot of cheaper cards right now that uh, it's just uh, it's such a gambly time. You know, it's kind of what is going to happen with this format. Wizards is going all in with Modern Masters and really saying that we want this to be a format. We want this to be an alternative to standard. Because that's something that turns off people a lot um, about the metagame is that standard's expensive and then it cycles. And then your cards rotate out and they're worthless. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with that. Mm -hmm. Eternal formats are expensive, but they are eternal. Standard, I mean, standard has such a catch-22 about it because the rotation is something that keeps it fun and exciting. The game is always changing. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, you have that rotation out. You have new cards that are printed. What are the new interactions that we're going to be experiencing? Mm -hmm. How does this affect the game as we know it? And it's new every year. But you also lose a considerable investment. Unless you're smart about your trade. But 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Unless you play modern or something. And yeah. Your cards that were good, just you can put them into your modern deck. Yeah. Like, right now, we all have to speculate what's going to happen to Thragdusk. I say it's not going to be reprinted. I don't think it will be reprinted. And it's an expensive card that a lot of decks see four of. Which is every, just going every to, deck running green So then you have, to, you have to wonder, is Wizards going to give me my value for two years of play, like I got with my Snapcasters, 
or, or Grave Titans. Or, or Grave Titans, yeah. No, Grave <laughs> Titan when it came out, I think it was a fifty dollar card or something like that. Like yeah, first, back in M11. $35. It was a $35 card when yeah, we started out. Yeah. That's rough. This was in straight the, In down. the best of ways. Yeah. Oh, you know what's really interesting, too? Is how Snapcaster, we have Snapcaster and Deathrite Shaman right now. And um, they're great to hold on to, great to pick up. But the even more interesting thing is how low of a price point Deathrite Shaman has, despite how much play it sees in Legacy and Modern. What's Death Rate at right now? Death Rate's about 13 15 bucks. 15 15 She's been floating around that price point for a while, hasn't she? Yeah, pretty much. Isn't it a she? He. He. I thought it was a he. <laughs> it's a he? Yeah, it's a yeah, he. Yeah, since, um, I don't know. what, Gatecrash? Right after Gatecrash. Or... I'm sorry, Ravnica came out. I might see a reprint in the new art as a she, though. So maybe, maybe I'm looking to the Wait, future. Reprint where? Wherever. Future, future, right? In the future, future league. Yeah. In Theros, probably not. Mm, maybe in Theros. The Speculations on that? Okay, are we going to talk about Theros? Let's talk about Theros. I mean, we're we're running long, but that's all right. We got some we got some talking to do about Theros, I guess. Yeah. So the Greek, the Greek god, the Roman god, the, the mythic, mythical. Creature set? I yeah. don't know. I'm you think they're going to be printing a lot of legendaries? Which set? begs the question, why did they change the legendary rule? Is it going to be filled with a ton of legendary creatures? Yeah. Which is what I want to see in this set. I want flavor. I want my creatures to I mean, to look be, at that cover. Yeah, guy. it's got... He's, oh. he's ruling the sky, and he's got a galaxy coming out of him, and men in black are jumping off his trident. It's great. Men in black are Men jumping black. off of his trident. That's not innuendo, folks. He's just... <laughs> that's not even a trident. It's no, a spear. it's not. But that's all right. A lot of people are drawing comparisons from Theros back to Kamigawa, equating more of like a Earth lore-based set. Mm -hmm. um, in Kamigawa... Kamigawa was kind of a mess. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like it. No, I really liked the books, so that was one good thing. No one reads the books. I read I the mean, books. I mean, I used to much. when they were included in the fat pack. Yeah. And then once they changed their fat pack structure, and then they're like, look, it's cheaper, but then you get more cards, though. Then I'm on board with book. that. And then they raised the price back up to where it was in the first place. Oh. You disappointed me, wizards. Yeah. You done did me wrong. Anyway, Theros. I'm pretty excited. Greek excited, gods. Excited as excited as you were for Ravnica, you think? I'm more excited. You know, here's the sad thing about Ravnica block. Return of Ravnica, I was geeked. I couldn't contain myself. Yeah, that's I was like, return, oh my goodness, we're returning finally. Yeah. We're back. Gate crash. I was like, yeah, hmm. gate crash. It's a thing. I didn't even buy a box. To draft. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. And I bought None three boxes of return. Both two, of us. Sorry, two. Two. You, you got, got two. I got three boxes yeah. of return. I was like, this is it. This is the, the new hotness. Mm -hmm. no, no gate crash. No dragon's maze. Nope. No dragon's maze. So I guess it goes, where did they go wrong? Or was it just that it didn't lift up to the hype? Or what was it? 
I can't quite put my uh, my finger on it. Because I feel like a lot of players have the same feeling about... I don't know if anyone listening wants to put something in the comments about how their overall reaction is to... We are still in standard with Ravnica, but just with the idea now that we've been able to draft with Gra uh, Dragon's Maze, what's the reception about how did Wizards do with the Return to Ravnica block? I'm kind of meh about it. I mean, it was really cool at first. I was like, oh yeah, guilds, and I'm going to line these colors. But now, metagames, all, a ton of colors everywhere. We're getting to play all the colors we want, and with the Shocklands, and, and I kind of knew what to expect because I saw the first Ravnica. Innistrad, for me, was much more of a hit than Return to Ravnica because Innistrad had a, a lore to it. It was cool. It was dark. It had werewolves and vampires. It was a new place. And the mechanics, oh, we didn't know what to expect Like as far as that went. It was, it was cool. Flipping yeah. cards over? Yeah. What is this? The card transforms? Yeah, I remember. We've never seen anything. We've never seen a magic card without a magic back on right. it. Right. Besides yep. tokens. Yeah. That was the... The biggest change to the backside of a magic card we've ever realized. I feel like they wanted to do that in the Kamigawa block with the cards you've turned upside the down. Flip like cards. they wanted to do it, but yeah, they and couldn't. Morph cards too, kind of. Yeah, and morph cards, but they couldn't figure out like. Can we back in Scourge block? Uh, Scourge. Was it onslaught? Onslaught, Scourge, Scourge maybe. Scourge. No, Scourge. 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 I'm gonna say Scourge. Scourge. Yeah. <laughs> I say big, and I say Scourge. Innistrad was cool. I don't have non-regional diction, folks. Like, back when I first started playing, well, again, Mana Fixing was really good then, too. Mm. Well, you still had Vivid Lands, yeah. for one. Plus, yep. you had three the, color the Shard Lands, too. Uncommon right? Lands. Yeah. You had Filter Lands, too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. from Larwin, Shadowmore. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, you could... That five-color control decks with uh, Cruel Ultimatum. Cruel Ultimatum, yep. I mean... People are playing just whatever colors they want. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that now. Yeah. Really good land fixing. The flavor is really cool this time around. I mean, it wasn't bad the first time around. That's why it was such a success. Um, but just something feels missing, and I can't put my finger on what it is. It, it's too. It's almost too easy right now to build, you know, to build whatever deck. So now, that, now that our fixing is, is so good. Yeah, you're like, I need to have all these colors. You yeah. can't just run a monocolored deck because you're like, well, I could run dual lands. There is no such thing as a mono deck right now. I mean, there's there's red Maybe deck red wins. Deck wins yeah. But I don't know. I I uh, remember at the end of Innistrad, I was doing mono black with um, zombies with Obliterator, ton of kill spells, Liliana. That was fun. Grave Titan. No. Grave Titan's fun. Maybe I did like a one of just because I love that card so much. <laughs> but, alright, yeah, I played it. But still, I want to sound like I knew what I was doing here. But, that, but even at that point, I told you to splash green so you could get your Prey Pond in there to get so much get, value. Get so cute with the deck. Obliterator. Yeah, but, uh, Theros, I'm really excited for. We're still going to have all the fixing, but I'm hoping that. Um, it introduces new flavor, breathes some new life with the new plane, and we get to see some really cool mechanics. One thing I want to see in the land cycle is, um, let's just take red and green. It's a legendary land, doesn't come into play, tapped, produces red and green, and it's a 
mountain and the forest. A legendary mountain forest. Yes. So you'll you can only have one of them. That's not tapped. Not tapped. It just comes into play. You want to do forest. like the original dual lands? Yeah, only but you put can them only legendary. Have one of them. You want them to be legendary yeah, though. Yeah. You can only have one of them. So reprint the dual lands as legendary. Yeah. I don't mm. see that coming up in Theros because we've already got a Ravnica lands. We won't see fetch lands either because they stated that they will not print fetch lands while the yeah. uh, shock lands are in standard. They will yeah. not do that. that so sense. all the people. Yeah, I think it would be cool though. Legendary land like that. I could get behind that. That sounds good, but if this is a legendary issue yeah. block, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Ah, so what do you think this set's gonna look like? I want to see cards that I'm sacrificing to God cards to like the cat, like how they did with Aldrazi spawn tokens. Uh, Aldrazi sack spawn for mana. sack them for mana to get ramp up to Aldrazi. I want to see like little. Villager people like that I can bowing down to your gods. My god cards. And I, we're, we're getting to Yu-Gi-Oh territory now. I just want to play my big guy. I can see wins. that maybe in 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 the black cards. <laughs> yeah, they actually did that with M14 actually. But um, more so, I feel like you almost see uh, something harkening back to what was in the Lorwyn block was the Harbingers. Uh -huh. The cards that when you play them, you can reveal some cards from the top or look through your oh, library like and put, put a card on like top Wind of your library. Heights. Like, um, no, like uh, the Trefoe Carbager, for instance. When you play it, it was a 1-3 for 2 mana or whatever. But you could look through your deck for a forest or a tree folk, reveal it, and then put it on the top of your deck. And that was your draw the next turn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could see something with a similar mechanic to that, to where maybe you get enough humans or servants or whatever they are, maybe you tap them, maybe maybe it's just playing the card, but then there's some sort of way to summon Kind of like the, the god uh, creature. block. Yeah. If you sacrifice a blue, a white, and a black creature, you could summon the Esper hero. Right. Mm. Onto the battlefield. Whatever that card was called. Uh, some Sphinx, I think. I don't Wait, well, wasn't that the t twins? Or the, no, I don't no, know. no, I wasn't that, on that. The yeah, was uh, <laughs> reborn. But yeah, we're gonna have a lot of legendaries in standard. Between the ten that we got from Dragon's Maze, the five and five we've got, so that's twenty right there uh, from both of the other sets. And then if this is supposed to be like a god-themed set, there's got to be some cool gladiators, some Cerberus. And Minotaur warrior death machines, and there's gonna be some <laughs> Minotaurs getting beat on. Yep. And we're done talking about Theros. <laughs> I guess we're done talking about Theros. All right, on to our closing discussion, because Nick has to get home to bed. Uh, beer talk. Yeah, we didn't talk about this at um, the beginning, but because I dropped the ball on that. That's all right, Eric. Thanks, Nick. It's beer madness. We have a special section here. We're going to do it every week. Beer madness. Beer madness. Pure madness. Eric and I picked out 64 different beers from eight different categories. 64 beers. Not one, not two, not three, but 64 beers. And each week, we're going to be sampling two of these beers and picking one. To move on. Two beers enter, one beer exit. March Madness for your mouth. It's the Beerina. So, um, for our beer categories, we got 
Pale Ale. Pale Ale. IPA. IPA. Pilsners. Pilsner. Wheat Beers, which we are currently on right now. Wheat Beers. Box. Box. Porters. Porters. Stouts. Stouts. And some brown ales. And brown ale. Last week on our test podcast, we had the pleasure of sampling Bell's Oberon and Lagunitas, a little something something ale. And um, kind of disappointed to say that Oberon won. But yeah, the something something was more of a hoppy IPA beer, not truly a wheat beer. It didn't feel like a wheat beer to me. This is true. Even though, personally, I'm not an IPA fan in the first place, and mm. I know you are. Yes, I am. You're talking about how you love that hoppy note. You had some very romantic <sighs> so ideals hoppy. about the beer. But, uh, no, Oberon won it. Yeah. Oberon took it down. And I agree with that. Definitely more of a wheat beer. So this Ooh, week, yeah. we're moving on to our second tasting. We've got Shot Tops Belgian White. And it's going against the ever-famous Blue Moon. Also a Belgian white. Yes, it is. Let's um, let's try these beers out. Uh, what do you want to start with, Blue Moon or yeah, the Yeah, uh, I guess so. Cup? You got Blue Moon in hand already. All right. I'll drink to that. Blue Moon, Belgian-style wheat ale, 5.4 alcohol for by, high volume. Of course, Blue Moon Brewing Company. Yep. Which is... It's pretty uh, cool they have their own brewing company. Yeah. Blue Moon Brewing Where company. is Blue Moon? They're um, nearby, aren't they? I don't think... Nope, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Um, that's Oberon that's nearby. Oberon. Yep. So uh, let's, let's... There's a lot of Michigan breweries. There are. I feel like... We are Beer USA, Grand Rapids. Yes. So uh, let's try this uh, Blue Moon out. All right. Looking for let's wheat beer. Let's see what we get. It's crisp. Definitely. A little bit of a sweet note. Mm-hmm. Could use an orange. Yeah, I'd definitely add that extra layer of flavor in there. Yeah. But... I feel like most wheat beers are complemented nicely with an orange or some other citrus. Yes. But I definitely like that by itself. It's not bad. Not yeah. something I need a piece of fruit with. Something I could drink alone. Absolutely. I could see myself enjoying one of these on a nice warm summer day. Yes. Playing a round of golf, getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not something I would want to have every once in a blue moon. Oh, the wit <laughs> and the charm. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's ever present. Always with you, Eric. I was trying to come up with silly puns and witty remarks. All right. All right. So that's Blue Moon. Any uh, any other thoughts? Definitely wheat beer like that. Good it's, quality it's to have. It's wheaty. It tastes yep. like a wheat beer. Tastes like a wheat beer. Wheat beer. Yes. All right, let's try the Shock Top. I should mention Shock Top's got some great art. Yeah. It's got a mohawk orange. Wheat. A wheat mohawk. Orange. So that's pretty fantastic. 5.2% alcohol by volume. Let's give her a switch. Had a chance to get the uh, blue moon out of our mouth. Right off the bat, I can tell it's a little, it's a little hoppier. I don't taste the hop, hoppiness. For me, it tastes almost identical to the blue moon. 
that sweet taste, that wheat undertone. I should mention I'm just get, getting over a cold too, so that definitely plays into how my taste buds are reacting. For yeah, for me, I boy, I really can't taste a lot of differences in these beers. It's almost like they use the same recipe. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. It is. <laughs> Where's Shock Top from? You know, around. Around. <laughs> Boy, doesn't say. At least not dumb. Let's use the power of the internet. Oh, St. Louis, Missouri. Alright, so kind of far, far apart to be conspiring with each other. Maybe one supplies the west, one supplies the east. We've got Blue Moon at 5.4 and Shock Top at 5.2. Yep. Not that I can really tell the difference in alcoholic content. Oh, I can. I'm an expert at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> not really. Not really, folks. 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 Oh boy, so, um... My vote's for Blue Moon. That's what I say. I don't know. Boy, I'm, um... I'm an adversary to the hops, I guess. I can't taste the hops, but I think they're both exactly the same. Taste the same. So what do you say? So, um, deciding vote goes to you, sir. Blue Moon advances. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Five Color Commentary. We are the premier West Michigan magic podcast. My name is Eric, and you can follow us on Twitter at 5ccmtg. Uh, you can also send any questions or comments to our email. The show's email is 5ccmtg at gmail.com. Yeah, I'll see you later, everyone. I'm Chris, and I uh, had a great time. Yeah, me too. It's uh, fun discussing magic and those tech topics, and definitely the beer too. Um, I'm Nick, signing off. You stay brass, city of brass. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Some Chris Rock. Don't you? No. I put on little pants. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Young Chris, everybody. Yay. Make it so, number one. Engage. Engage. Walk back to five. Mark Rosewater is one of the head honchos. For uh, Wizards of the Coast, as far big as Magic cheese. together, yes, very big cheese. Yeah. Uh, Captain Stinky Cheese, I think they call it. That's not true. That's not true at all. You know, I've seen online that that's the trick with pretty much all your electronics is you put it in rice, yeah. and then overnight, Asians come and fix your technology for you because they're attracted to the rice. <laughs> I didn't know how it worked before exactly. I figured it had to do with something of the rice absorbing the liquid and like getting yeah, it away from That's a common misconception, Eric. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to Five Color Commentary, the premier West Michigan magic podcast. Premier. Premier. That's fancy. Premier. Primer. <laughs> like for your wall. I need a paint. Do you like Premier West Michigan? Yeah.
Magic Podcast? Is that good? Yeah, and our first that, ever show. Yeah, it's pretty gutsy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I, there probably aren't any other West Michigan podcasts. If there are, it doesn't matter. No, the best. <laughs> the best! <laughs> I'm gonna